as you and I are well aware of in our journey and walk with God, is there's sometimes the, the tendency to want to try to find something that works, and it works big. And so we talked about the idea that, uh, I use the illustration in our home, we burn a lot of firewood, and as great and warm and cozy as that sounds, every morning it's cold. <laughs> and it takes a little bit of time to get the fire stirred and, and the new wood put on there, the kindling and getting it going before you feel that warm, cozy thing. I think the warmest thing I get in the morning is a cup of coffee. And then as the fire starts to warm up, it slowly warms up. And, and really, spiritually speaking, we're probably more like that kind of concept. We're, we need to find the secrets that let your soul begin to come alive and slowly warm up and we keep growing rather than just throwing gasoline on it. Um, as I mentioned the illustration when I was in Boy Scouts for several years, you got to kind of watch some of your buddies. You could be over there trying to get things going and, and really trying to be careful about it and somebody manages to have a little thing of lighter fluid. And you got to watch those kind of guys because they're going to set that thing on fire real quick, real hot, but it's not going to last long. But you got to watch it because they, they will burn you. But spiritually speaking, there are some, some uh, promises out there that can get your fire going real quick. And there's not necessarily that some things are wrong. It's just that Jesus kind of created us more for relationship than we probably might ever fully appreciate or value. And it's the warmth of that relationship that slowly develops, it slowly grows, but it's sure to last. And when the relationship with God is as it ought to be, that is ultimately the secret of secrets about our relationship uh, with Christ and the warmth of it going. But we want to look in, in Revelation chapter 3. I'll begin by picking up verse 14. We're going to talk about the church that the heat went out and it became lukewarm. Okay, Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse 14, and we'll read down through 22. The angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that they are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say that I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not have need, I do not need a thing, but you but do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you came, can become rich. And while clo wear clothes, I'm sorry, and white clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest. And repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down on my father, on my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize when we read some of the tones of these letters in the book of Revelation 
but they seem to generate possibly more fear than faith. But we pray as we consider the sacred uh, truths that have been revealed through the Apostle John, we pray that we might take to heart the concepts that seem to be communicated and recognize that there is a way that things can be restored through a heart that is tender and acknowledgement of the truth and a willingness to repent and come to terms with how life tends to take its course. We do pray, God, that you might rekindle within us the capacity to allow the, the lukewarmness that may creep into our lives to be rekindled once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 16, as I read earlier, I may read it again. So because you are lukewarm, we think about uh, lukewarmness, we inevitably uh, are probably aware of of water that uh, when it is hot for a period of time, uh, after it sets a little while, it's going to lose its heat. But when we look at uh, uh, this particular letter in Revelation, we realize that uh, the Lord has revealed to the Apostle John a a, a particular condition or a situation in one of the seven churches that are referred to in Revelation. And in this particular church, uh, the the city uh, got its water supply and it wasn't coming from very deep in the ground. Um, So it had a tendency to be warm, but there's another interpretation that there was an area where there was uh, some kind of uh, hot springs that were coming and seeping into the, the, in that particular area. So the water they would get coming into the city uh, would be, in essence, lukewarm. And uh, so the Apostle John has given this, this revelation, this insight to the condition of the church, and he uses that concept of that lukewarmness to bring an awareness of what is happening spiritually as well as the lukewarmness that comes into the city. The church, ironically, was doing, at least outwardly, uh, quite well. They seemed to be prospering. They seemed to have uh, those financial resources. They seemed to have uh, um, uh, experienced a lot of income coming through trade. Uh, It was a city that was in a strategic spot. So travelers and, and people that were in the trades would be coming and going. And so the city was experiencing this, this richness in their season. They seemed to have uh, advanced in some medical technology. Uh, so there were a lot of things going well for that particular community. But yet God wants to communicate to this particular church that when things are good like that and things are working out well, that there's a condition that always must be addressed. And that is that when your lives are going seemingly well, sometimes our spiritual component seems to have lost its, its real importance in our lives. <clears throat> Some would say, well, that's the, their church's problem. That's Laodicea. But uh, what we need to realize is that when God reveals situations to certain uh, churches and He sees fit to make sure it is preserved in the written record of Scripture, that there's a chance that it applies even here to New Life Community and to each and every one of us as well. 
And, and again, I, I simply mention that to kind of build off as a beginning once again, that regardless of how uh, things are going so well within our lives spiritually, there's always that tendency to experience seasons when the lukewarmness begins to do its work in the lives of, of God's people. Uh, the primary emphasis of this particular message about the lukewarmness about the church is that um, it happens subtly, and it happens not necessarily because anyone intended to lose the passion of their faith in God or their fire in serving God. It's just a part of life that if you do not add something, a little bit more heat to get it warm again and get it going, that inevitably we're going to experience a settling condition in our lives. Lukewarmness is something that uh, we all tend to go through uh, points or periods in life where that real richness of our, our vibrant life uh, begins to creep in. And so it's often unnoticed. And that's what you and I need to be aware of. As I've begun looking at several of the, the, the practical disciplines of the faith that can kind of get us rekindling again. If you recall, we kind of touched upon finding the secret place of prayer. Spending time in, in praying, not only just as a general sense, but praying specifically for things that uh, only God can really rekindle within us. Uh, you and I can try to get excited about God on our own, but God creates really that, that excitement itself. And so we know that the time we spend in prayer, the time that we communicate our real heart passion to God, that has a huge bearing on how well you and I grow spiritually. Last week we touched upon worship. I know from my own personal experience those many times as a young Christian and experiencing the richness, the warmth, those extended periods of worship. They were a significant influence in the development of uh, my, my heart condition with God. And so we talked about that last week. And, and uh, this morning we want to touch upon uh, another one that I want to uh, uh, look at a little bit specifically. Uh, notice in Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, the Gospel of Luke Chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Now the news about him, meaning Jesus, it spread all over the more, so that the crowds and of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. Notice 15. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We know that prayer was an important part of Jesus' life, and Jesus was not only praying simply because he wanted to say something to his Father, but it was that time in prayer that was extremely important, because as much as his ministry was extremely effective, and as much as his ministry was reaching many people, he would choose at some times to leave the ministry to go be ministered to. He needed to be renewed, he needed to be restored, he needed to be refreshed, and so Jesus developed or set the tone for you and I to acknowledge that this time with God is extremely important. But what I want to point out isn't so much the prayer, it's being alone with God. 
There is a discipline of the face that you and I uh, need to humbly consider, and that is not only alone time with God, but what's implied is quietness (laughs) with God. There's something about the secret quiet place. There's something about that quietness, that stillness aspect that you'll find written throughout all the church history of individuals that grew and were enriched in their commitment to God, that in the quiet time they can hear something they won't hear in the noise of life. Well, in our culture and generation, it's, it's certainly important to consider how much time is it quiet in your life. I mean, think about it. We get in the car and the radio's on. You get out of the car and the TV's on. I mean, life is just going, 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 and as soon as you get quiet, your cell phone rings. <laughs> There's no end to the, the, the noise level. As a matter of fact, it is true that when our relationship with God is not as, as rich as it really ought to be, quietness sometimes gets a little scary. And I know people that the idea of it being quiet just creates all kinds of, of fear as to, I, I won't be able to handle that. What you and I need to realize is that uh, we can look at numerous scriptures that talk about the quietness and the stillness. It's important to know that somehow that solitude, that silence, those moments where you and I are still before God, things can happen at an entirely different level that probably will never happen as long as that noise continues to be on. Um, It's a risk to say that we all tend to hear noise even when it's quiet. (laughs) It's risky to sometimes communicate that some of us hear voices that constantly keep on talking. Whether it's our ideas or our opinions in our head, or it's the devil constantly throwing in his input, or we, we live with these images in our mind. We've watched TV, and, and the TV keeps on playing. The ideas that you saw in there, or, or what you might be reading or studying, or sometimes work uh, never stays at work. Sometimes it comes home, and it's all this mumbo-jumbo stuff keeps going and going and going. You and I need to realize what Jesus seems to be communicating here is the secret to learning about the lukewarmness and passionate is to realize that somehow I must hear something or see something that God has to show me. Uh, Jesus used that example of getting away alone and he communicated it to his disciples as a pattern for them as well to come away and get some rest, to be renewed. Uh, What's important to understand is life is noisy. And as long as life is noisy, and as long as life is busy, and as long as life is demanding, somehow, unless we develop the ability or the time to get alone and listen and to be still before God, all those noises could very well hinder us from experiencing what God wants to communicate to us. Look in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. If you find Isaiah and Jeremiah, it's right after Jeremiah. Lamentations chapter 3. 
And we're going to pick up in verse 19. Lamentations chapter 3. We want to begin by looking at 19. And we'll read uh, the first two verses first and then we'll drop down. Lamentations chapter 3 and 19 and 20. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Verse 21, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, or those who wait on Him, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. I don't think it's hard to try to prove the importance of the quietness. I think it's difficult to get there, because right away some of us might think, well, it's never quiet. <laughs> there's always noise. There's always responsibility. There's always the voices that keep telling us, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to finish this, I've got to go there. What's important to understand is God is desiring to commune with us and fellowship with us. And if you're like me, it's easier for me to grasp if I pray more or if I just read the Bible more. But to simply be still kind of gets the best of some of us with ADHD. Some of us that can't sit still, that concept is like, you've got to be kidding. I think there was a, a, a bet one time on somebody wanting to know whether this one person could be still for any length of period of time. And I think the idea was based upon the fact that uh, which is worse, I think the story goes on, which is worse, would you rather know that uh, your punishment for some great crime would be to be on death row and know you're going to be executed here shortly, or would you rather be sentenced to silence for the rest of your life? <laughs> and, of course, uh, many would argue and clearly say it'd be worse to be sitting in silence for the rest of my life than to just get it over with. <laughs> you know, we think about that concept of silence. It's important to know that God isn't asking us to do nothing in this silence. But typically, the way that that silence works is that is when you and I read our Bible, and it changes what happens when we read our Bible. It's in that silence that we can pray differently, and it's able to truly communicate the longings of the heart, and the passions for God to express himself and show us things. It's really what happens quite often that, that kind of enhances the whole process of what fasting might uh, be intended to accomplish. It's what so many of the other disciplines go together with. And that's why you'll see Jesus went off to a lonely place and he prayed. And so you see these coming together. The important thing is, is to humbly say, Lord, 
how can I find a creative time and a place to get away and be still before God? And uh, some have uh, mentioned that uh, we can do that in small segments by beginning to take a moment to think, uh, uh, just a, a minute or two, and as we learn to find comfort and reward in taking those quiet times, then we can build those and enhance those to greater lengths. Any of the spiritual disciplines that the the Bible uh, communicates to us, it's difficult to learn how to apply these when we're not accustomed to it. Uh, It's it's probably easiest to uh, mention the concept of fasting. If you're going to decide to fast and take time to spend time with God, Uh, you may not want to start with a 40-day fast. You may want to start with a one-afternoon type of thing. Okay, and the same thing is prayer. I mean, it be it, uh, we could start out the new year saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for great periods of time and lengthy uh, periods of time rather than learning to develop a, a structured approach to prayer life and develop it a little bit of time. Uh, what I want to do is to kind of whet our appetite because we need to realize that the Scriptures are not silent about what you and I might gain through these times of reflection, through these quiet times of stillness, because that's really what encourages us or moves us ahead is to know that that there's something happening, there's something promised to take place in these times of stillness and quietness. Uh, Turn with me to the Psalms, and we'll look in uh, chapter uh, 46. Psalm 46. You and I recognize that uh, life does, uh, has a, 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 a period of time that uh, things go relatively well. And those are the times that uh, it's easy to say that God is good all the time. It's, it's easy to say that when God is good and, and all the time things are going relatively well, but there'll be a day that that doesn't come off so quick. Uh, because there are seasons in life that life can be very challenging, and its way it's described in Psalm 46 is, uh, we'll see in verses 1, 2, and 3. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, in verse 2, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced a crisis that you might believe is somewhat equivalent to that, but you probably can kind of figure out why that verse is used a lot of times at funerals. Because when the world crashes down, when everything that you thought was solid and stable and you counted on, it's gone. Let's jump down to verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I mean, it's, it's humbling to think that we can't handle ourselves. It, it's humbling to think that as, as strong as our faith might be, it's humbling to think that as much as we think we've got a handle on this life, that there will be times, circumstances in life, that will shake the best of us. And it will cause us to be extremely tempted to question God and His ability to maintain control, at least of our little world. 
And the one thing that is, is emphasized throughout the scripture is in the stillness, in the quietness, you can know that God is God. I was reading a book in the last couple of weeks. I've shared a little bit with Nathaniel and, and Jerry, and uh, it talks about uh, how that uh, circumstances and situations, experiences in life can shake us so much that the whole rest of our life is going to be shaped by what happened in that experience. And many of us have gone through experiences that it has hit us so hard and, and so fast that we're not the same anymore. It's circumstances like this that we come back in stillness and say, God, help me to discover that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And until that stillness takes place, until that time of, of regrouping our mind and getting our heart reset, our circumstances will now be the final say in our life unless God reminds us, reteaches us, comforts us, and brings us back to knowing who He is. There's some things about God you can learn out of a book, but most of the things about God are not coming in book form because we have to learn to be still and let God do what only God can do. And so it's important to know that in those moments of crises, in those deep, uh, uh, challenging experiences of life, that we find the secret of being still so that we might know, not only up here, but know experientially, He is God. Another thing that's important to know is in the midst of all the race and pace of life and all the noise of life is sometimes we uh, can't even hear ourselves think. Um, some of us might be scared of our thoughts. Some of us, maybe we ought to be scared of our thoughts. But it's important to know that we don't really know what's working in us until it's quiet. And then it starts to come out. Well, I've stretched this one a little bit, but turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to begin looking at verse uh, uh, 7. Now, Elijah um, is, is a prophet of God. And um, he's having a, a very difficult time. Uh, he had a, an, actually an enormous victory. And... Uh, now, after the victory of his experience on Mount Carmel, uh, Jezebel is really upset, Queen Jezebel. And she is pursuing him and has threatened to kill his life. And so he takes off running, outrunning her chariot. Now, you can imagine after an extensive ordeal of running from someone who wants to kill you, you're going to be tired. Well, spiritually, he seems to be uh, do, uh, experiencing a real heaviness, a sense of depression. As a matter of fact, he just wishes that God would just take his life. Now, how you go from this mountaintop experience to that, I, I might have been there, but I don't think I've been at this situation. There's times when you come through experiences in your passion to live for God that you're going to find that there is evil lurking to do a number to you, and you might be more aware of that than ever before. But either way, we get to this time in verse chapter 19, in verse 7, where God is wanting to minister to him. It says, the angel of the Lord, in verse 7, 
came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. They have put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said in verse 11, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came, a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. It's hard to hear a whisper. It's hard to get realigned with God. Elijah understood that his passion was rapidly diminishing. His fire to take a stand for the things that were right and pure. And in his aloneness and feeling of aloneness, God wants to communicate to him in a way that he hasn't communicated to him in the past. I simply just mentioned there's a lot of things that we will never know about God until we're in that stillness, that solitude, that deep um, hardships of life where we are willing to say, Lord, I need you, and I need to sense your presence. I need to hear from you your message. Please give me that. But the whisper can't be heard in the noise of life is is what uh, we look at. And there's many things that we desire that God would uh, explain to us or to help us understand. And uh, these are the things that we, we consider. Um, I did want, uh, uh, want to mention, as we look back in Matthew uh, chapter 13, Matthew's Gospel chapter 13. <clears throat> is not only does God uh, uh, want to speak to us, and often the way that we can be more assured that we're going to hear from God clearly is in the quietness of life, and He rewards those secret, quiet times. He blesses us with so many of those activities. But one thing that's important to clearly understand, particularly when we say, but I have the Bible, that I can read that for God's guidance and His wisdom, and I, I certainly would would be one that would probably lean more to the fact that if you want to hear from God, you got to get the book that he wrote, okay? you got to use the scriptures. But what I'm doing is this morning I'm intentionally saying that though God has given us his written word, and I'm fully confident that God can explain himself really clear in the Bible, there still is an element of truth that what I hear and see from the written word could get mixed up in my heart interpretation unless God himself speaks through his spirit and validates it 
and makes it true. It's important to know that when we particularly are learning to listen to God and stay tuned with Him, that we need Him to not only explain, but to communicate and make sure that we get the right answers. And that's in the quietness, the stillness. That's important to know that if God does not help us understand what we really need, even using Bible and prayer, may or may not get you the right answer. We need it explained. A perfect illustration of that is many times we've allowed the Scriptures to be used and we, we want to hear the Scriptures and maybe we're in a situation or circumstance that is overwhelming and someone, well-meaning person, shared some Scriptures but they didn't connect. It's important to know that that connection is what God does by learning to be still before Him. He can minister to the heart. Well, in Matthew chapter 13, we find that there's the parable of the sower, but between them, there's a profound concept that's communicated here. In uh, uh, verse 11 and 12, Jesus replies, he's explaining why his disciples get special insight, whereas the rest of the world does not get it. That's in verse 10, but look at 11. He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them it is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, you will be ever hearing but never understanding, you'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For the people's heart has become callous, they hardly hear with their ears, they have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their, their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and I would heal them. The point we want to make is, is when God begins to speak to us in that quietness and in that solitude, you and I are going to be given things that not everybody gets. And you and I, by recognizing that God promises these things, we can assume one or two things. We can assume that I don't need to take time to be quiet to get that. Or I can assume that by simply praying that God would give it to me as a quick prayer, we might assume that if He wants me to have it, He will give it to me. The scriptures do not tell you how much quiet time you need any more than the scriptures tell you how often you really need to pray. I mean, some scriptures talk about praying continually, but how much time of prayer? I remember talking with other pastors one time. I was trying to say, how much time do you engage in prayer? It's interesting. I never really got any clear answers from very many. I know one thing that when we are not in tune with a lifestyle of prayer, it definitely shows up. If we're not in tune with a certain amount of, of, of the truth building itself in our minds and hearts, well, you and I are going to be different people. What I'm being challenged is the amount of quiet time alone with God. If it's not there, then possibly I keep 
coming up with my own ideas, my own interpretations, my own views with the same old results. My challenge is that without looking up 10 or 15 more scriptures about the secret things God wants to share with you, I challenge you this year to find some time, quality time, alone time, time to be still so that we can sort out what's me talking, what the devil's talking, and when it's God truly talking. And until it's quiet, that voice we may not discern, we may not know the difference, but alone with God, with a commitment for Him to reveal what only He can reveal, I trust we'll be able to testify it's good to get alone with God. It's good to quietly wait patiently so that we can know when God wants to impress upon us His precious secrets, we would hear it clearly and to be able to experience the kind of change and blessing that He wants to give to us. Father, we come to You today and acknowledge that our need for You to keep speaking is so real and evident. We thank You, Lord, that uh, for those of us that experience that you've blessed us with times that we can easily get away. Yet I'm sure there's many here today that it's not simply an easy opportunity. It takes a lot of special commitment. Some things will not get done so that we have time to do what needs to be done. We pray, God, that you'd give us the courage to allow our faiths to be expressed in a way but we give you a portion, a slot, a place, so that you might speak. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thank you.